So just to be clear, Chris asked what brings joy, and one of the kids replied, eggnog? It's not what I expected to hear, um, but maybe I should try that eggnog. The third Sunday of Advent is always, I guess for uh, those of us who play in worship, it's always sort of a fun Sunday because there's a little bit of legend that goes with the uh, third Sunday of Advent. And, and I believe most of this is true, but as any preacher would tell you, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. So the story goes that Advent was a somber season of repentance where... People came in dressed in, and they used the liturgical color of purple, which is the same as the color for Lent. And they waited and they fasted and they just sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, over and over and over again. But the thing was, the people knew that Christmas was coming. They knew they were going to get to celebrate the Christ child. And so inside the church... They were drab and sad, and outside of the church, they were celebrating. And so the church leaders, they, they caved in, I guess you would say. They, they gave in to the excitement, and in the Advent wreath, they included a pink candle. So three out of the four Sundays of Advent, you try not to sing songs like Joy to the World. You try to hold back and you fast and you wait so that when Christ does come, you feel the excitement and the joy. But on this Sunday, we're allowed to celebrate. And so we do. We sing, hark the herald angels sing. We sing, it came upon the midnight clear. When the church was the center of everyone's life, when the cathedral was the tallest building in town and really controlled and influenced the culture in a greater way, that feeling of lighting the pink candle probably carried a little bit more significance than it does for us these days. But it doesn't keep us from asking the question that we do ask or that we do address on this Sunday every year which is, what about joy? What brings joy? What is joyful? What is something in your life that far exceeds the simple happiness of a nice gift or something going your way? What brings joy? If you listened and we think back to those two passages that were read by Megan and by Jed, there was joy in those passages. There was joy there in the midst of difficult circumstances. There was joy there that should push us to be very careful when we ask ourselves the question, or at least when we answer the question, what would bring a joy that could overwhelm us? Because that is a high bar. There's plenty of things around us that can make us happy or that can make us sad. There are items, there are events, there are interactions, 
There are circumstances and ideologies that can have a profound effect on our mood every single day. It would behoove us to think carefully, though, about which of those things may or may not bring us joy. True joy. Because think about this for a second. Think about what Megan read. With all my heart I will glorify the Lord. In the depth of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. That may be a different translation than what she read, but the Spirit is the same. There is joy there. Think about this. Some 2,000 years ago, Mary was a teenage girl about Megan's age, likely younger. She was already engaged to be married, which makes all of you fathers of daughters squirm in your seats just a little bit. And then she says, joy. I magnify the Lord in joy. Mary is but a child like these kids sitting up front here. She's engaged to be married and then she finds out she is with child. She is with child and has done nothing wrong to invite such circumstances. The Holy Spirit came upon her and she says, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. And if that were not enough, then there's Joseph. Joseph, who is a fine, upstanding man, who we know his story, don't we? Joseph, who's engaged to be married to this young woman. He's not that old himself, but we presume he's a bit older. He does have a beard in the pictures. And being an upright man, he says, well, if she's pregnant with somebody else, I'm going to set her free of this engagement and let her go be with the one who she's supposed to be with, meaning in a society where it was already hard to be a woman, we have a single teenager who's about to be a single teenage mother, yet she sings, with all my heart I glorify the Lord. Why does she say this? How does she say this? Where does this come from? Maybe it was revisionist history when they were writing this story down a few years after it happened. But I think the answer is because she knew true joy. A joy that came from knowing her God and Savior. A joy that existed outside of the happiness and sadness of a particular circumstance. Maybe Mary shows us that true joy exists outside of the situations with which we deal every single day. Maybe joy is rooted in an assurance of who you are and whose you are. And in that sense, being assured that yesterday and today and tomorrow, God will be with you, God will help you, God is coming to meet us, And will meet us when we most need it. Well, maybe that's the source of true joy. 
I suppose that's probably the answer to the question I started with off the top, isn't it? And that is certainly a sentiment that is at play in the prophecy that Isaiah wrote some 800 years before Mary ever sang her song. The Isaiah passage that Jed read is full of wonderful promises that are echoed later in the life and ministry of Jesus. The people who are hearing this word from Isaiah, just to set the scene for you a little bit, they have been kicked out of their land, their temple has been destroyed, and they are no longer their own sovereign nation. They are in exile. They are beaten up, broken, and devastated. Yet Isaiah offers the words off the top, and they will be glad. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. This prophecy starts with gladness. And it ends with phrases like, and joy will overwhelm them. Now why is this? These people who are in exile, likely, who are they crazy? How can they be thinking of joy when they've been taken from everything they thought God had given them and put somewhere else? I think maybe it was because God will rescue them from their current circumstances. Or, maybe more likely, they see here in this passage that God is bringing a promise of ultimate healing. A healing that may not happen in their lives as they know it, but will happen through God as they know Him. For Jed read that God will strengthen weak hands. He will support unsteady knees. The eyes will be opened. Ears will be cleared. The lame will leap like deer. And the speechless will sing. It seems that no, no matter which part of the body is affected, both literally and figuratively, the body that is God's people can have joy because God will bring them healing. The brokenness of the body of God's people would not last forever. The current broken state that they lived in was not the end. It was not how things always would be. And knowing that, believing that, finding that and seeing glimpses of that, glimpses of circumstances that were bigger than the ones that they were in at that moment, helped them to feel an affirmation from a God who promised to bring them ultimate joy and healing beyond the current circumstances that they were in. And so... It brought them, as Isaiah closes his passage, with a joy that overwhelms. That's a high bar, but, but isn't that what you want? Isn't that what we want to experience when it comes to knowing God? Jed alluded to it in his prayer earlier, though, this time of year, there's a great temptation to think that joy might come from the right possessions or the right circumstances or things all happening exactly the right way. Scripture shows us that joy 
exists outside of these things, Mary and Isaiah have no circumstantial evidence to support the fact that joy comes from being in the right place at the right time. Because they seem both to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and still exclaim joy. And so despite what we see in the world around us, we see that joy comes from something else. There's a woman, a Japanese woman, who's written a book that some of you have likely come across. It's called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing. And this woman, Marie Kondo, speaks of joy and stuff. Now, lest you think this is just some book that the preacher comes across, um, the first time I saw it was in an airport bookstore. The second time I saw it was on the counter of a church member's home. And eventually, I bought it myself and read it. I can't say I've tidied up, but I did enjoy reading the book. Over two million people in America have bought this book, and the book has been published in some 30 countries. And so there are plenty of people who, in this world, have the idea of tidying up in their heads, whether they get to it or not. Now, the central principle of this book is that you have too much stuff, and decluttering your life and yourself will magically change your life. Ms. Kondo uh, outlines a process for cleaning your house and decluttering your life around the simple principle of picking up an item and asking yourself, does this item spark joy? And if it doesn't, you throw it out. She maintains that most of the stuff in our life cannot spark joy. It cannot deliver joy. It cannot sustain joy for us. And so this Japanese, for this Japanese, from this Japanese organizational expert, we learned that having stuff and getting your life in order cannot spark joy. So even though I think every single one of us would enjoy a Lexus with a big red bow in our driveway. If condo and scripture are correct, then the car companies and Amazon and Best Buy are peddling to us momentary happiness based on buying little things. And we can have things, that's okay, but we can't find joy in those things. If we chase joy through shopping, we won't find it. Now speaking to circumstances, there was a quote that made the rounds recently by Jim Carrey, who is a big, famous, rich movie star actor. You have likely seen a film that he has made. If not, your grandkids have quoted it, I promise. The quote that, that was being shared by Carrey was, I think everybody should get rich, and they should get famous, and they should do everything they ever dreamed of so that they then can see that that's not the answer. Being rich might make life easier, but it's not the answer for a joy that overwhelms. Getting famous would probably be kind of fun, 
But it can't deliver a joy that sustains. And doing anything and everything you ever wanted might make you happy in the moments when you get to do those things. But I think Carrie would tell us too that that joy cannot be provided beyond the excitement of that moment. Circumstances cannot bring you joy. And, And Mary and Isaiah show us that well. And all over Scripture we see people struggling with their circumstances, but somehow the ones that made it into this book found joy anyway. Somehow they experienced a glimpse of God that carried them forward, even though others around them were paralyzed by what they experienced. And so you already know this, but the the difference in the ones who experience joy is they're the ones who somehow experience the life and love in a relationship with God. And the ones who who got mired in the minutiae of all the other things of life, they missed out on that experience of the joy and love of God. They missed joy. They chased other things that were temporary reprieves, but they did not last because they were not joy. Because joy comes from the power and the presence of a delivering God who reaches beyond what we can see into what we really, truly, powerfully, and eternally need. And that's what God is bringing in the presence and in the birth of Jesus. Just two weeks from today. What God's people see a glimpse of, what Mary sees, is that God is bringing Jesus. That's what's coming in two weeks. God's people see that God will bring something that no one and no other thing can. And so, that is why, wisely, years ago, the church leaders gave in and they said, light the pink candle." And celebrate a Sunday with joy. Because this joy, when it comes in, it cannot be held in. And it must be let in. It shouldn't be pushed out. All over the world today, there are people who've come to know the Lord and and, and have experienced great joy. There's people who don't have electricity or plumbing but know joy, right? There are people in third world countries who are at risk of malaria or or Zika or Ebola, yet see and experience and, and exude joy. There are people in the most destitute parts of our county or our country who know great joy. And why? Why? Because they know that joy is deep. Because they know that joy is a relationship with someone and not just a good gift to a partner. They know that joy is the experience of love and not just the offering of a valentine. They know that joy provides the assurance that everything may be going wrong right now. Things may not be easy And we may not be happy about the circumstances we find ourselves in in the moment. But current circumstances don't define their reality. 
They know that something is coming that can help them see the way through. They know that joy comes from God through a saving relationship with Jesus. And that's the circumstance that matters most. And so that is why for many years the church has celebrated with joy and a pink candle on Sunday. A hundred years ago this church was over on Granville Street and I doubt that they had central heating and air but they celebrated joy on the third Sunday of Advent. 300 years ago, in small settlements all over New England, the Puritans were running from the British, but they were celebrating with joy. And some 650 years ago, those big, beautiful monasteries and cathedrals in Europe were worried about the plague, but they were celebrating with joy on this Sunday every year. And in each and every case, they saw that joy was something beyond the momentary stuff of their life, of their moment. Because they knew that joy came from the Lord. And so, like them today, we celebrate with joy because joy exists with God, not the circumstances we find ourselves in. Joy exists because God holds us close and God promises to provide We celebrate with joy because we know that in just two weeks, Christ will be born again and we will see for sure and anew that the God who created us not only will save us, but comes right here to meet us. That's where joy comes from. Our joy is in what what God does. Our joy is in what God does, and that is why our candle is pink. And our pink candle today reminds us to pray to a God who can provide a joy that will overwhelm. And so let us do that now. Gracious and eternal and loving God, we thank you that you give us reason to have great joy, good tidings of great joy for all people. Lord, forgive us for the times when we sell ourselves or our lives or you short. Forgive us for the times when we seek joy in things that are not you. Forgive us for the times when we mistake joy with happiness. But Lord, fill us with your love. Help us to sense your presence every step of these last two weeks as we wait for you. And Lord, may every day be a day where our joy builds so that our excitement comes and that, and that, that your love for us is realized when we celebrate your birth just two weeks from today. Lord, we love you. We thank you that your joy overwhelms and we commit ourselves back to you today so that you can bring that joy to us. It is in your name and with great hope that we pray. Amen.